You are listening to the Star Coach Podcast with Meg Rentschler, episode 69. I think as people practice just being mindful in general, again, it's a self-reinforcing habit, but it's also one that gets stronger with practice, which is why I guess it's called a practice. I think enhances your ability to be present and to be focused on whatever it is you're doing at any given moment. Welcome to Star Coaches, the show for professional coaches that brings you coaching strategies, tools, and resources. Whatever your focus or niche, take a front seat weekly as industry leaders, decision makers, and innovators share their wisdom and expertise on the ins and outs of successful coaching. Now join your host, Meg Rinchler, as she connects you with your star coaching potential. Well, hello there. Welcome back to the show. I'm your host, Meg Rinchler executive and mentor coach and coach educator. And we are focusing today on a topic that is really important, important and increasingly significant as new research comes to light about the important aspects of mindfulness and presence and taking time to become centered and focus on some of our inner wisdom, just allowing that which is within us to be heard and to just be present with ourselves. So our guest today is Dr. Patricia Thompson. She is the president of Silver Lining Psychology. As a psychologist, she entered into management consulting back in 2004, and has been working with senior leaders, providing executive coaching and team building and personality assessments for selection and development since that time. She works with a variety of different companies, but when Patricia was referred to me for the show, it was because of her ability and sort of intention building mindfulness into her coaching practice. So Patricia is going to talk with us today about how to integrate mindfulness into our practice with our clients, but perhaps even more importantly, how we can build the practice of mindfulness into our own lives and how when we become more mindful and present ourselves, It actually helps us in in several aspects of our lives and certainly in being able to be more present and mindful with our clients. So let's go to our interview with Dr. Patricia Thompson. Patricia, welcome to the Star Coach Show. It is lovely to have you join us. Thanks for having me. It's really great to be here. Well, you came highly recommended to the show, and I'm really excited to hear more about how you integrate mindfulness into your coaching. So I know we did a little, you know, we did an intro about you and the audience knows a little bit about where you're, where you're coming from. But what brought you from the field of psychology into some coaching as along with your business? Well, 
I wish I could say that I did it sort of with a lot of foresight and intention, but actually I just sort of fell into it. Really, I was doing my postdoctoral fellowship at a hospital working with people with serious and persistent mental illness. And um, our training director wanted us to have jobs after we finished, which is, you know, an admirable goal. And so someone from a consulting firm actually came in and told us, you know, about what we could do with our degrees from that perspective. And it sounded really intriguing to me to get to work with senior executives and travel and actually have my own office because I was at a public hospital at the time. And so I thought I would just try it out and see, you know, how I liked it. And as it turned out, I've, I've loved consulting to senior executives. And you've been doing this for how long? Uh, since 2004. All right. So part of what you do with leaders is you integrate mindfulness and it and it brings several benefits to them. So in your coaching with them, how does one integrate mindfulness into the overall coaching schemes with leaders? Yeah, so I guess the way that I would use it isn't necessarily a structured way. It's sort of a tool that I bring up as I need it. I guess at its fundamental core, I find that mindfulness really helps people to become more self-aware. And I think as a leader, to me, you can't be an effective leader or an exceptional leader if you're not self-aware. And so usually at some point during our engagement, there's an opportunity to bring it in to help them to learn to be, you know, more present and intentional in terms of observing their own process as they go about interacting with people. And how do you explain mindfulness to the leaders that you work with? Yeah, it's interesting because I am so, I guess, into mindfulness. I mean, I've, I've been involved in it for so long that I just kind of assume everybody's worked and understands it. And so more often than not, I'll ask people, have they ever heard of mindfulness? And more often than not, they say no, which again, to me is a little surprising just because I'm so, you know, into it. Yeah, it's so much a part of your life. And then when it's not with others, and I think we have that, we bump into that sometimes when we're experts in something or we're so used to something, realizing that it's not in everybody's vocabulary. Exactly. And so then there's a definition of it that I really like by John Kabat-Zinn, who is sort of the master of mindfulness and psychology. And um, he defines mindfulness as paying attention in a particular way on purpose in the present moment and non-judgmentally. And so mindfulness really involves, you know, being intentional about paying attention, but also doing it in a way that's non-judgmental. So I kind of explain it as being like a curious scientist who's observing your own process. And so you have some objectivity. You're not kind of in the thought or in the emotion that you're experiencing. It's almost like you take a step back so that you can observe it from a more dispassionate perspective. Interesting. And how does that tend to fall on your leaders when you begin to talk with them about integrating some mindfulness? So usually when I describe it in terms of, you know, helping you to be more present, helping you to be able to take a step back and be more intentional, that's something that resonates with them as something that would be very useful to them. But I think the next question is, okay, well, how do I do that? Like, you know, I might have tried to do that, but I'm not very good at it, or I can get caught up and spun up. So can you give me some tools that I can actually help to know how to do it? And what kinds of tools might you share in that pursue of mindfulness pursuing? (laughs) (laughs) Well, it depends on the person and it depends on why I'm bringing mindfulness up at that particular time. So for example, often mindfulness will be something that I recommend if someone say is stressed out all the time or Mm. is having issues with just kind of being frazzled or on the verge of burnout. 
And so for someone like, I'll probably recommend a very basic mindfulness strategy, like just doing some breathing, like taking some time to breathe and observe your breath. And I'll explain sort of how you go about doing that. And then, you know, there are some mindfulness experts who, you know, would recommend that you do that, say 45 minutes or something like that. I find that can be way too much and nobody's, or I won't say nobody, but few people are willing to do that, at least the types of clients that I work with. So I might suggest to start, you know, do it for five minutes a day, like find a time during the day where you can close the door, close your eyes, breathe, just kind of observe your breathing and take a step back from what's going on. And that's usually a lot more palatable to them. You know, a lot of the people I work with with that are very driven. And so the thought of sitting there and doing quote unquote, nothing is something that I have to do a bit of a soft sell with. (laughs) Right. So yeah, certainly being able to adjust their field work or their experimentation or these mindfulness practices to something that is going to increase a chance of success. If you start out by telling them, let's do 45 minutes of breathing, might not have that client for very long, huh? Right. Or while it might help them, it's not going to help them if they don't do it. So I get my foot in the door with something that they can have a a good experience with that they might be peaked to do it a little bit longer. Yeah. And when you practice some of these exercises, even focusing on breathing for five minutes, what kinds of responses are you getting with the leaders that you work with? Um, It's interesting because I know in advance that one of the things that can often get in the way is people actually making the time to do it. And so I problem solve in advance, like, when do you think you might be able to do this? Let's talk about what could come up, like, you know, the sort of typical things you would do with coaching. And then once we actually have a time for them to do it, usually what I find when we talk the next session is that it was really helpful, or it was nice, or it was relaxing, or, you know, they could see how it would be helpful for them. So it's very self-reinforcing when they actually do it. You know, a lot of times you'll also have to tweak how they're doing it, because I think people have the expectation that they're going to do it and their mind will be clear. And if they're not doing it with a clear mind, then they're doing it wrong. (laughs) So, you know, at that point, I have to sort of reiterate that when you see a thought coming up, or you notice a thought, you just kind of notice it non judgmentally, let it go and then focus back on your breathing, or something else that I've actually found really helpful, instead of focusing on their breathing for some people is to like pick a noise in the background, like, you know, like the air conditioner or something Mm -hmm. that's very, you know, like white noise almost. And they can focus on that. And sometimes that's easier for people than focusing on their own breathing. Oh, that might be helpful even for the audience, for those people who are thinking, how can I get perhaps to integrate some more mindfulness? That tip that you share is something that we might all try as well. For myself, actually, I find that the white noise works better for me than my own breathing. What other, if, if we were to, to maybe offer the audience one or two tips that they could practice, because everybody's different, right? So as people are listening, what are one or two other tools that you might offer that people can begin to explore mindfulness with? Yeah. So I guess another one I would suggest is, so I talked about mindfully observing your breathing. Another one would be mindfully observing your thoughts. Because, you know, again, if you think of a leader going through their workday, they have a lot of thoughts and the thoughts that they have, if they're not aware of their thought process can cause them to you know, move one way or another in terms of making a decision or interacting with someone or speaking up in a meeting or whatever. 
And so again, it's that ability to, you know, take a step back without judgment, that without judgment is a really critical part and think, okay, what am I thinking right now? Are there any other ways that I could look at this situation? And particularly if they're experiencing a strong emotion at that point, mm-hmm. that taking a deep breath and taking a step back and thinking about what they're thinking can be really helpful. You know, for example, I worked with someone once who would always get defensive in response to what he saw as criticism. Mm-hmm. And really, it wasn't criticism. It was just, you know, in a meeting, people are going to have difference of opinion. And that's good in terms of being able to solve problems effectively. And so, you know, we, we started to get him more aware of, okay, so what's the first sign of noticing that defensiveness? And he noticed that he would get a little bit of clenching in his gut. And so we, that, you know, just being aware of that helped mm-hmm. him to know, okay, I'm it's coming. Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, we would have him, you know, think, okay, what thought comes up at that point? And it was, you you know, maybe not even a conscious thought, but when he became aware of it, it was that I'm right. criticizing me. And so then at that point, you can take a step back and think, okay, what's another way to look at this? Like this person's just looking at the situation differently than me, or, you know, these differences of opinion are helpful in terms of being able to get everyone's views out on the table. But so again, it's that aspect of being able to kind of look at yourself behaving and have a sense of intention as you're behaving that can be so helpful. To Absolutely. One of the things that I hear from the leaders that I work with is that their schedules are so jam-packed. They're just going from one thing to another thing. And that can certainly impact our presence and our ability to focus and even, you know, kind of not bringing the garbage from one thing into the next. And what might you recommend to to leaders who are in that place of just so rushed that getting their feet under them can be difficult. Yeah, so I guess there are a few things I would suggest. Number one is if you're a leader who has any control of your schedule, which most people have more control than they probably acknowledge, is to take a little bit more control of your schedule so that you don't have meeting to meeting to meeting to meeting and you actually have some blocks or even a block of time, you know, once a week so that you can think strategically and not be so caught up in the day to day. If you don't have time for a whole block of time, then you could possibly make your meetings a little bit shorter. So, you know, instead of one hour meetings, even doing 50 minute meetings, kind of like a coach or a psychologist would do. So you have some time to reorient yourself, get grounded, maybe take a deep breath, that sort of a thing. I've also found that just having a mindfulness practice in general can help you to get centered more easily. So, you know, I'll give myself as an example. When I was working for a consulting firm where I was doing all sorts of traveling and my schedule was really erratic, I found that when I actually made the time to have a mindfulness practice, I was just more centered and calm and better able to deal with the ups and downs and the, you know, irritations that you have throughout the day. Mm-hmm. And there's research that suggests that it sort of um, has a calming effect on your nervous system, which is why I think just as a general sort of day-to-day practice, it can be so helpful. And just for clarification, when you're saying a mindfulness practice, you're talking about things like you fo- like focusing on the breathing that you were talking about, or focusing on thought or getting centered. Any yeah. other Any other mindfulness practice that you might recommend? Yeah, so I would say as a practice, mindful meditation is helpful. So just regular meditation for people who can't sit still that way, because there are people like that. There's actually, you know, you could do mindful walking. But essentially, I mean, you can do any behavior mindfully. It's a matter of 
focusing in the present moment and purposely being present. So I could mindfully eat my lunch, for example, and decide that I was not going to be, you know, scrolling through my smartphone and, you know, reading while I'm doing it, but I'm doing one thing at a time and just being fully present in that. I think as people practice just being mindful in general, again, it's a self-reinforcing habit, but it's also one that gets stronger with practice, which is why I guess it's called a practice. And it, I think, enhances your ability to be present and to be focused on whatever it is you're doing at any given moment. I can imagine there can be a challenge in with working with people who are used to, you know, kind of doing that myth of multitasking, believing that they can actually multitask or thinking, you know, just focus on one thing fully have your presence on that one thing. Even that example of lunch was a great example because when was the last time that any of us sat down to have a meal with, you know, if we're eating by ourselves and just focus on the eating and being mindful of the moment. And there's many, there's research that shows if you can be mindful when you eat, it actually helps with, with, intake, the amount you intake and and sort of your whole wellness. So I had to smile because I was sitting here thinking, I don't know the last time that I like sat down and had a mindful meal. It's a a good reminder, Patricia. Thank you for that. Well, I think the thing is, too, it brings a lot more richness to the experience because, you know, I find that if I'm because I don't often eat mindfully, although sometimes I do, but most of the time I don't. But when I actually do, I actually taste my food in a different way. You know, Mm -hmm. like you said about the research, you might not need to eat as more because you're actually savoring it and experiencing it. You know, if someone is in a meeting, for example, and they're mindfully paying attention, they're probably going to pick up more nuance from the meeting, not just the content, but also seeing how people are interacting with one another that sort of a thing, you know, people might respond more positively, positively to them because they see that they're actually being present and listening, which unfortunately in meetings is not always a behavior that you see. So I think it just brings a lot of richness to, to the situation. And typically with clients who are a little bit skeptical, I'd like to be able to draw on research and present that to them um, because it's harder to, you know, argue with that. And then mm-hmm. you know, usually pose well. Let's just try it out and we can see. And if it doesn't work, you can always go back to what you were doing before. But let's, you know, suspend your disbelief and let's do an experiment. (laughs) Yes. And when you were talking about being present in meetings, and I link that with seeing a leader in a meeting, truly being present to everyone in the meeting and to A, what great role modeling. And as you said, make people feel heard and acknowledged and picking up on all those nuances that could go by if we're so distracted with so many other things. I can see how that can lead to more effective leadership. Absolutely. I find um, mindfulness is really helpful for the clients that I have who have a pronounced sense of urgency and are the kind that kind of want people to get to the point quickly or, you know, may or not be listening fully because they know where you're going to go with their sentence or they assume. So assumption is in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so the ability to slow down, recognize the value in the group process and be present for that, I think 
also helps their people to, like you said, feel heard and feel more space to be able to express their points of view. How do you also see mindfulness enhancing communication style? A lot of ways. I mean, first of all, I think mindfulness, because it helps you to be more self-aware as a leader, it can help you to recognize, okay, what are my communication strengths or, you know, what are things that I might do that aren't as effective? I think, again, for a lot of people, when they're under stress, they are less effective across the board, but Mm -hmm. also often in communication. And so it can help you to recognize, you know, when you are under stress, and then be able to, you know, judge accordingly, take the step back again, and be able to behave with intention. Like I mentioned, it helps in terms of being able to listen more effectively, because you're better able to deal with distractions. Because for example, if you think of a mindfulness meditation, where, you know, the typical description is, you know, if you have a thought that comes in, notice it and let it go. And so you get more effective at being able to have a thought and let it go and focus back on the task at hand. So it helps with that. Yeah. So I I found that it helps a lot with people to communicate. Another thing is nonverbals. So again, you know, I've worked with, like I had this one client who often came across as very intense, even though that wasn't his intention. But, you know, I told him, like, when I see you, you know, you're clenching your jaw, your forehead is furrowed, and you have these various behaviors that could be a little intimidating. And so, you know, there are some mindfulness exercises where you kind of do a body scan and you're more aware of what's going on with your body. And so again, by being more self-aware in that respect, you can notice, oh, I'm doing that eyebrow or that eyebrow Mm -hmm. and then relax so Mm -hmm. that you're not scaring everybody. (laughs) And so we're increasing awareness and making a practice of doing that body scan because undoubtedly that had become habitual for him at that point. And he didn't know he was scowling at everybody or that his forehead was furrowed or whatever. So increasing that awareness and then building in a practice that helps him be more relatable. Right, exactly. So that sort of leads to the whole concept of emotional intelligence. And I can imagine increasing mindfulness would have a positive correlation. That's an assumption I'm making, but that the more mindful we become, perhaps the more tuned in to how we're relating to others and what our emotional intelligence is sort of, well, what our range of emotional intelligence is. Absolutely. Because I mean, if you think of emotional intelligence, it's composed of, you know, self-awareness, then self-management. So being able to manage your reactions to things, which mindfulness helps with. It also is sort of being able to recognize what's going on with other people. And if you're paying attention more and you're more present, you have a greater capacity to do that. And then your ability to interact with others effectively. So you could see where in each of those areas, mindfulness could definitely help. What about confidence? What are you seeing with your clients as they become more mindful, more kind of tuned in to both themselves and their environments? What does that do to their overall level of confidence? Um, I think it can really help. I mean, you know, you have some people who have self-doubt or automatic thoughts that are coming up that undermine their confidence. And there's thoughts that they're not even aware of. And so in a sense, mindfulness can help them to, you know, first of all, even become more aware of their thought process and put them in a position to do something about it. And then I also think just when people are able to be more effective as leaders by using other practices, it definitely enhances their confidence and helps them to feel like, you know, hey, I'm 
a better leader than I was, you know, before I was doing this stuff. And so that also helps as well. Good. So if if people listening are thinking, oh, I want to kind of learn more about mindfulness or just become more aware of the practice of mindfulness, both for myself and maybe for my clients, any recommendations on resources or ways to increase that this knowledge base? Yeah, so well, I don't want to sound like I'm self-promoting, but I actually have a course on mindfulness for executives. Mm-hmm. And so in the course, I talk about all sorts of different principles of mindfulness, and I give a lot of guided meditations that people can use. And so the course itself actually addresses mindfulness as it relates to, you know, conversations. So we talked about the communication as it mm-hmm. relates to Uh, getting better handle on your thoughts and your emotions, also developing greater compassion and empathy through mindfulness and how to hardwire mindfulness practice into your life. Um, And so I actually created the course just because I had a lot of executives who I felt could use an additional resource Mm -hmm. and uh, it kind of walks them through it and then gives them some self-reflection exercises that they can use to be able to use it in a practical way. Mm -hmm. So there's that. Um, Now, let me ask you, Patricia, that you've designed for leaders, but if a coach who maybe coached leaders, I mean, would that, would that course be helpful to people, even if they're not per se a corporate leader? Absolutely. Because actually, um, I mean, while the examples that I give are professional in nature, the underlying, I guess, basics or bones of mindfulness, I think, apply to different situations. Okay. I actually had someone who was a counselor who had taken the course, and she said she thought she knew a lot about mindfulness, but she learned a lot of new practices that she could use in her own practice as well. So oh, good. it's pretty clear the applications are. Good. Any other thoughts of resources that or books that you would recommend uh, regarding mindfulness? Um, So like I mentioned, John Kabat-Zinn is someone who I think very highly of. Mm -hmm. He has a book called Wherever You Go, There You Are. And that's a very foundational book in mindfulness. There is another book that I think it's called Search Inside Yourself, I want to say. And the author's last name is Tan. And he is actually someone who works for Google and uses mindfulness within that um, organization. So that's another good book that I would recommend as well. Well, good. I will have information about your course on our resource page so that people can link to your to your website and find that. Is there anything about mindfulness that you were hoping that I had asked you about that we didn't talk about that might add? No, I wouldn't say. I mean, I guess the one thing I would say is, as with anything, mindfulness is one of those things that it's good to know about, but you actually, you know, get the benefit when you try it. And so right. I would recommend, you know, before trying to teach it to somebody else, trying it yourself, kind of seeing what your own experience of it is, because then I also think it gives you much more ability to be able to sell it to someone as, you know, this is something that's worked for me and I think it will work for you as well. Well, and I, that's just so key. So often there's, there's tools and things that we want to bring to our clients. Yet if we start with ourselves first, and I know we've talked about this in several interviews, uh, listeners, I know that I consistently say, you know, start, start with yourselves and sort of that whole physician heal thyself thing. And the stronger we are as individuals and as, as professionals, then when we bring things to our clients, it, it resonates that much more authentically. Yeah. And I think we're better able to anticipate, you know, where things could be challenging for someone. 
Absolutely. Now, I also know that you have a podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about your podcast? Yeah. So my podcast, I will say, is not as regular as yours every week, but it's called Success Unlimited. And basically in the podcast, I um, just talk about different things that I think would be helpful to my audience. So, you know, I cover things like building confidence, how to manage emotions, you know, characteristics of effective leadership, those sorts of things. And I, I try to keep it relatively short just because I know that the people I work with are busy. So yeah, I need to be a little bit more disciplined like you are about getting them out as often as you do. But um, that's, that's a good uh, motivator for me, you asking the questions. <laughs> well, I've listened to a couple of your podcasts and I think that they are delivered very well and bring lots of value. So I just wanted the audience to know about those. So Success Unlimited is another podcast you might consider adding to your subscription list. Patricia, thank you for taking time with us today and sharing this very important subject of mindfulness and how we can both apply that practice to ourselves as individuals and potentially help our clients grow through mindfulness as well. Thanks. It's been fun. Being mindful and being completely present and focused is so key in so many of the things that we do as coaches. I want to thank Dr. Patricia Thompson for bringing her knowledge of mindfulness to the show today and encourage all of you to think about how can you build more mindfulness into your daily practice for yourself and how it can be beneficial to your clients. If you'd like to know more about Patricia or about Silver Lining Psychology, visit the resource page on starcoachshow.com. And while you're on starcoachshow.com, you might also want to sign up for the ongoing book giveaway or click on the link to leave an iTunes rating and review. I would very much appreciate reviews on iTunes. They help us get known as a podcast and they increase our listeners and let people know about the value that our expert guests are bringing to the show. So thank you in advance for considering leaving a rate and review on iTunes. And thank you for visiting the show this week. Next week, we're going to have David Steele, who is the creator and founder of Relationship Coaching Institute, talking to us about the specialty of relationship coaching with singles and couples. So until next week, this is your host, Meg Rentschler, wishing you the very best for your coaching success. I hope you have a fabulous week.